Our Gospel reading taken from Romans chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On John Wesley, and we looked at the people who were influential in his life. And I said, when we think about Aldous Gate, we immediately, when we speak about John Wesley, we immediately think about Aldous Gate and the experience that he had in Aldersgate. But Aldersgate was no Damascus experience. Rather, it was a combination of experiences and events <clears throat> and that all came together in this one final moment of complete surrender and commitment. As John Wesley himself describes uh, what happened that evening at Aldous Gate, he says he was reading Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. And while he was reading, a change, the change that God works in the heart through faith in Christ, he felt that something had changed in his own heart. And at that moment, he had this assurance that Jesus was the one who came to save him and had saved him. This is what Paul describes in Romans 6, verse 23, when he says that the wages for sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. Wesley had believed that the person who was touched by God's grace and love was filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was through the power of the Spirit that one became a child of God and by that power was able to cry out to God, Father, my Father. And that was why, where the assurance was found and that was where God's grace was encountered. As we heard in Romans 6, Paul describes two masters in competition for our attention. The first one is sin. Sin trying to take control of our lives as it draws and as it governs within this world. Sin is a very heavy taskmaster as it lays us in bondage. Sin rules us with an iron fist. In John Wesley's terms, sin distorts the image of God within us. It corrupts our very nature and it reveals itself in our private lives, in our relationships with one another and in the social and political structures within this world. The second master is grace. God, through His infinite love, mercy, and grace, is the one who sets us free. The only question really to ask is, to whom of the two masters do we belong? Because if the one sets you free from the other, then you are in the service of the one who had set you free from the other. Now when we look at, when we, when we work for someone, we receive the wages for the work that we do. Wages does not necessarily always pay out immediately. Sometimes wages pays out in installments over a period of time. Sin accumulates over a period of time. And at the end of the day, when it pays out, the dividends is not really good. A gift is something totally different than a wage. A gift you do not work for. 
a gift is something that is freely given. A gift is something that is given out of love. A gift is something that is given just because. Don't have to give a reason for it. Just because. As human beings, we certainly are deserving of all that comes to us. But God does not deal with us as we deserve. He does not pay us according to what we have done. What He does us, He does to us, He offers us grace. He sets us free from guilt and from sins that has enslaved us. If we are willing to repent and turn away from the old life we have lived of sin, turn to a new life that is based on faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. God who is rich in mercy, clears our debts. He grants us freely what we do not deserve, the gift of eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. In John Wesley's terms, grace was doing in us what we are unable to do for ourselves. Grace was making us holy. To be holy, to be made holy is to be set apart, to be sanctified. For Wesley, holiness, sanctification, and perfection all were summed up in the words perfect love. To love sounds very easy, doesn't it? Love my wife, love my husband, love my motorbike, I love my dogs, I love food. Love is easy, isn't it? But I think the way in the context in which John Wesley thought of love was a little bit more complicated. Love was not just a feeling or an emotion. Love was something one practically did. Love was an action. Love that one had was for all people. It was built on the love that one would have for your Creator, for your God. Faith was not something that one lived out on your own, in your little corner, in your little house, by yourself. Faith was lived out in the world. Faith was lived out in community. We know the jargons, right? We, we know Wesley's sayings. The gospel of Christ knows of no religion but come on, you Wesleyans. Social. No holiness but social holiness. 
Faith working by love in the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of Christian perfection. When Wesley wrote the general rules of the helper, who knows the general rules of the helper? No, don't answer. Don't answer. Don't answer. He was strongly encouraging people to steer away from all that is evil by all possible means and do as good, do good as far as possible by all possible means. There were no limitations placed on these general rules. We have our little feeding scheme, soup kitchen, whatever we want to call it here on a Tuesday morning. And we are extremely, extremely grateful to all the contributions that goes into that little soup kitchen. Because if there are no contributions from you coming into that, we are not able to feed the people that stand at the door. And there can be easily up to 18, maybe sometimes even 100 people coming for food on a Tuesday. It just depends on the day. But sometimes, maybe something more is needed. And the question to ask is, why do we have so many people coming on a Tuesday, standing at that door, coming and asking for food? What are the reasons? Why can they not feed themselves? Why can they not look after themselves? How, how can that challenge, challenge be addressed? Um, how can that need there be addressed? Wesley certainly knew and did challenge and address the social ills of his time in a number of ways. Education for him was huge, and he challenged the education system of his days. Economic empowerment for him was huge. He taught people how to work with money and use money. And there were a number of other ways in which he dealt with social ills. Holiness for Wesley included all of who we are and all of what we have in this world in which we live. As God works His grace in us and through us, we become those instruments of grace through which God touches other people. 
Holiness was not just the way we said our little prayers tonight and do our devotions before we, we go to bed. Holiness, or part of holiness, was being good to others, doing good to others. Sometimes it will call us to, to challenge certain behaviors or certain behavioral patterns. The author and the theologian, Graham Gooch, you ask the question, if my brother or my sister is hungry, homeless, and sick, and it's within my power to change these circumstances, and I, I really do not do anything about it, can I call myself holy? And then he continues to say that sometimes we provide the most basic and the most necessity of all the keys that we can. We give the food that we need to give. We, we are the sympathetic ear that we need to be. To be. Uh, I give a coat here and there that I need to give. But sometimes... There are those moments where we need to do a little bit more than just do the basics. Sometimes there are those moments where we need to challenge oppressive systems and behaviors. We need to challenge those things that have put my brother and my sister into that difficult situation where they find themselves in. The Methodist rule were written to make sure that the love that we have for God and the love that we have for our neighbor would be understood in terms of practicality uh, and not just feelings and emotions. Here's another thing. When, when the class meet, meetings were first established, it was the place where members could freely share their feelings, their, their fears, their pains, their anxieties, their struggles. Class meetings were the places where they received support for one another, for the difficulties that they had to go through. In class meetings, they prayed for one another. There, they held one another accountable for the struggles that they were facing. One of the key elements of these class meetings were confession. 
We know the words. How goes it with your soul? We say it. How goes it with your soul? How goes it with your soul is not about I am in a good space now. There's not really anything big going on at the moment in my life. That, that's not how goes it with your soul. How goes it with your soul used to be a reminder of how members are failing in the commitments that they have made. If I had set out to lose 20 kilograms, I would have been held accountable to, okay, so how many kilos did you lose this week? Um, I backslided. I actually picked two up. Why? How can we help you to lose that? It was a place of accountability. And that's what's supposed to happen in our small groups. Actually called accountability groups. Here we support one another. Here we offer encouragement to one another. Here we pray for one another. Here we hold one another accountable to the changes that we had set out to make. Maybe I shouldn't ask the question. No, let, let me leave it. As I close, perhaps this would be my challenge and my invitation to us all. If you do not belong to an accountability group, if you do not belong to a small group, a Bible study group, that you would find one. Find one that meets your needs. Because it's really in these groups where we care for one another, where we minister to one another. Invite a friend. Come along. Come and see what we are all about. Let us make the difference where we can make the difference. Because where it's in our power to do so. If we can challenge abusive and oppressive behaviors, let us do so. Where we can feed the angry, clothe the poor, let us do so. Let us become those conduits of grace through which God's mercy and grace flows to reach the others around us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let us pray. Lord, and your love and your grace is, is just amazing. As, as you reach out to touch our lives, as you reach out to change us, Lord, we stand in awe of who you are. And we rest in the assurance that, Lord, we belong to you and you belong to us. But, Lord, you call us to love as you love us. And love is not just an emotion, Lord, but it's an action. You call us to be active participants in this world in which we live and work. May your love flow through us. May we become those conduits of grace through which you work to touch those around us. May we put our words into action. And may we do what is needed to be done. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.